1: Huge, huge weekend of basketball. Three great games, some very surprising results. Obviously that game seven between the Clippers and Dallas, we got to get to that one. But I actually want to start here with Netsbox in part because probably some of you listening to this on Monday will want to listen to it before game two. So let's get at that. Danny and I did this one, of course, for the NBA cast on Hot Mic. If you haven't tried that out yet, you can just sync up using the app very easily. It just listens to your TV and then syncs up our commentary. It knows where we are in relation to the game and where you are in relation to the game. And so it just syncs you up. A lot of people have been joining though. Uh, really enjoying them great comment threads in there as well we obviously respond to comments during the break so this in the end was a 115 107 victory for the Brooklyn Nets it was not that close it was over with four minutes left in the game but despite the fact that the Nets won this we have to begin sadly with the injury to James Harden
2: we do and it was extremely deflating for Pretty much everybody involved when it happened. Harden re-injuring that same right hamstring and as Jeff Stotts noted and, you know, as just the experience with all this with muscle, muscle injuries, hamstrings are tricky. It's something you and I have said for years is what makes this so daunting is that re-injuries often take a long time to heal. And I mean, and so maybe he comes back in the series, like you said, and and I I think this is going to prove true that if somebody can't come back in that game with a muscle injury, they're going to be out at least a week. Harden has already been, he missed the rest of game one. He's already been ruled out for game two. And
1: yeah. a a hamstring strain was it but that i mean that can mean anything obviously it
2: it really can and so it was basically the first possession of the game and the challenge is really like okay we, we saw that the nets won game game one and we'll go through that detail but working from here you know the strain that this game put on kyrie irving and kevin durant can they do that six more times in this series and then plus how if they can however much they need to in the next round
1: yeah, well, they only need to do it three times to, to at least get out of here with a win, and you know I could certainly see the Bucks getting some blowouts in this series but it's worth noting of course uh, that it's not like the Bucks just completely destroyed the Nets in Milwaukee when they played without James Harden both teams were going pretty hard in those two games and the Bucs did win both of them and they looked like the better team in those games but the Nets having home court and in fact you know winning this one pretty handily is there something to take away from this for the Nets I think defensively they had by far their best game against the Bucs they really yes six out of thirty three point shooting for Milwaukee very of game one against miami but obviously the nets are a better team so that's that obviously is going to improve the three-point shooting chris middleton six out of 23 drew holiday seven out of 19 i think both of those guys can be a lot better than they were so that's something that's not going to continue. What did you see in this game? And I think I am going to make the assumption that James Harden is out for the series right now until further notice. I think that's that's probably a pretty fair assumption. And if he does come back, his risk of re-entry would be really really high as depressing as that is because I was despondent when that happened on the first fucking possession of the game for for the net But what 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 may Brooklyn have found in this game that could continue that they could potentially rely on throughout the series?
2: I thought they were really strong defensively and i mean one one way of describing that is through kind of milwaukee's offense in that second half in particular i thought that that's really where things kicked into gear yeah the Bucks shooting two out of 11 during that stretch helps. But Milwaukee also, they got 13 shots in the restrict area, but they were six of 18 from floater and they and they took two mid-rangers. And so I thought that that was important, but arguably more important than that was that the Nets were defending relatively well and they, they weren't giving up a ton of free throws. They gave up a fair amount. They gave up 11 d- during the half in total, but that's not ridiculous when you consider the physical disadvantage that the Nets faced during that same stretch. And like as John Hollinger Noted and a few other people like the the Nets. I think that was in the fourth in the fourth quarter. The Nets committed four fouls in the first few minutes, and then the Bucks still didn't shoot. Didn't use the bonus until I think it was three minutes left in the game.
1: But I wouldn't say it was for lack of trying. I actually, We talked about this on the cast, actually, that the referees not calling many fouls. The Nets only shot nine free throws in this game. I thought that that actually played to the Nets' advantage because, frankly, as the smaller team, you're just going to have to foul more, right? And KD did get five fouls. Uh, Blake Griffin got six. Nobody else really committed very many. For them, but they're just going to be in situations where, whether it's boxing out, whether it's protecting the rim, Giannis driving to the basket, they're going to be situations where there's just going to be some borderline plays where they may be fouling. And I think the fact that not many fouls were called actually played to the Nets' advantage in this game. They're able to play a little bit harder and freer. And a big way that a size advantage can manifest itself as just getting the other team in foul trouble getting into the foul line and so fewer fouls followers, followers in general being called in that game you would agree with me right that that was a a pretty loosely called game yes
2: i would wholeheartedly agree
1: yeah particularly in the first half i th- I thought um and, and maybe even the beginning of the third quarter uh now so that that may not continue you know they, they could get into uh, some foul issues to be sure i think the thing that you got to feel pretty good about is only giving up 33 point attempts and only 12 in the second half only five in the third quarter well
2: and and um, also, the Nets importantly cleaned up a lot better on the defensive glass. They had immense oh yeah. trouble during that first quarter. The Buck the Bucks had nine offensive rebounds in the first quarter, and then they had six in the rest of the game. Now, if you give up nine, if you yeah give-
1: overall. 27 percent offense rebounds. You can totally live with that if you're.
2: Yeah, uh, in certain games, maybe that that will be a problem if your offense is a little bit worse or else, but ov- but overall, I, th- I think you can you can do with that. And it was a, a concerted team effort. I thought that they did a better job going after it, bringing extra people, bringing extra people to the glass, and some of the the bench players did well. And I, I think that was the other for me really positive thing for Brooklyn. And I'll single out Nick Claxton. So Claxton, I thought, had a rough first half. He was out physical. You know, there were a couple plays where it just wasn't wasn't strong enough. And whether it was setting better screens or playing a little bit more aggressively on defense, he went from being a negative in the first half to being a positive in the second half. And Brooklyn needs every support player to be a positive or close to it because now those guys have to do a lot more
1: no absolutely and Blake Griffin was another yes. one of those guys they did they I, we thought they might play DeAndre Jordan they did not do that at all but they did actually go away from the switching system on any screen involving Giannis they actually played conventional pick and roll defense and I thought did a pretty good job on him the Bucks tried to get to some of those like empty side pick and rolls and the big generally did a good job of showing just enough to deter the drive and then getting back to Giannis in between Giannis and the basket. And Giannis, superficially, his line was very good. 34 points, 16 to 24. Didn't really have the jump shot working. Uh, He hit two of five from three, but didn't have the two-point jumper working that well. Uh, But four assists, five turnovers that's not amazing for him and he just wasn't able to set up the three-point shooting so they kind of yeah the bucks kind of beat him up on the interior and brooke lopez got a bunch of of shots in there but you know middleton and holiday weren't really able to abuse their advantages i think both of those guys can do better uh, on on that score in their one-on-one matchups particularly holiday going seven of 19 was a a surprise he missed some good bunnies around the rim but the it didn't get so bad at the basket that brooklyn had to like crazy help and again, you know, you'd think, hey, they're shooting so poorly from three, so that's why they're sucking in so much, and the rim wasn't going as well. So why weren't they giving up way more threes? But they didn't, especially in the second half. The the Bucks just kept trying to mash into the paint. They also just don't. They have more guys standing around the paint. They've kind of emphasized having more guys in the dunker spot this year. Brooke Lopez in particular was only 0 of 1 from three. You know, there was a time, many times in the last few years, where he would be spending most of his time out at the three point line. He did almost none of that in this game. He was. He was really trying to run the floor post up, try to duck into the charge circle post up, and he got some fouls on that. He was 8 of 11, but that also gives Giannis a lot less room to work inside, and Drew Holiday a lot less room to work inside as well. And Lopez also had five offensive rebounds, a lot of them coming early on so I I don't know how sustainable overall this Brooklyn defense is and 20% three-point shooting for the Bucs yeah that's not too good and if they make 35% it's a different game but this still was only a 102 offensive rating for the Bucs not really a great offensive performance for the Nets either though a lot of that came just in garbage time when they basically just didn't score at all in the last four minutes of the game like the Nassas out of the Kumpo was plus 11 the game was well decided by the time he was getting any minutes. So I think that they can do a little better. I think the guys who were defending Giannis one on one like didn't get completely overwhelmed. I thought Claxton, as you mentioned the first half, did a little bit. I thought Blake Griffin did surprisingly well. Absolutely. One on one. Um The other aspect of their defense that I think was big, and I think this was big just overall for the Nets, I referenced it, Anthony Davis going out at the beginning of game six, and then what happened to the Lakers, them getting completely rocked. Kevin Durant, I thought, personally made sure in the first quarter that that wasn't going to happen to the Nets, that they were, he was just playing so hard defensively in that first quarter, and just really set the tone that the Nets were not going to be rolling over in this series, even without James Harden. And he, perhaps rightfully, so, still thinks of himself as the baddest man in this series and I think despite Giannis's 34 points he was the best player on the floor in game well, one
2: yeah, I think you, you had that tone setting and then I think you also had the tone setting of how little Durant and Irving sat during that first half right. where we wondered how Steve Nash was going to change the rotation with Harden now typically what the Nets have done is have Durant and uh, Kyrie play the whole first and third and then they both sit and harden runs the show and and you know works his magic and then those guys come back in and you 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 finish you finish it out with, you finish out and everything else and so like well crap that you can't run your you probably can't run your normal rotation with any of those three because one of them is out and then the way you structured it and so instead the solution in the first half and art and pretty much in the whole game was okay well they're just not gonna sit and so Kyrie
1: yeah Kyrie sat less than one minute in the competitive yeah, portion of Which the game. was
2: truly incredible, and Durant had a couple of minutes... At the very beginning of the second, and then I, th- I believe he had a couple minutes at the beginning of the fourth, and that's a lot to take. You know, it's going to be challenging for them. But the idea that they were going going hard after this one, and yes, it's true. Like if you look at the comparison, that you know, Kyrie played forty five minutes, Durant played forty, and Yadis, Milton, and Holiday were much less than that. Now those guys didn't play the end of the game; they would have been at about forty. But for me, the criticism of Budenholzer for his rotations in this game is not that he didn't play his very best players enough. It was that he didn't play his next best players enough, and he also played Jeff Teague, and so yeah,
1: and also that some of the combinations.
2: Were sure, really yeah, like and that and that's cool. actually where I wanted to go. So for me, the most telling part, other than playing Jeff Teague, um, trust me, we'll get there, was the primary assignments and, and i mean it's unfortunate for so many reasons but one of them being on that first possession the defensive assignments were fascinating like they had Giannis as the primary defender it looked like on Kyrie Irving, and and so all around so, and but so the the
1: yeah we should mention too that they started pj yes tucker, and that's exactly where i was gonna go in place and of so Vincenzo, pj tucker yeah.
2: was spending most of the time guarding fellow university of texas alum kevin durant and tucker you know making making durant's life difficult and and you know that's being physical bored murdering on fouling pretty consistently and he benefited that was part of why I was saying that the Bucks in the early part were benefiting from rest. not calling much because PJ Tucker was very much into Kevin Durant's business but then Tucker picks up his third foul his third foul emphasis there in the third quarter and he's done I would say he's done a very good job on Durant to that point you know not producing fruit every single time but Tucker picks yeah. up
1: yeah he he was getting through every screen especially in the first half like there Nick Claxton I thought did a better job of screening in the second half but definitely like tucker was just like going right around he was making katie was scoring on him some but it was every shot was a difficult so
2: Bootholzer about 40 seconds before has pulled Yadis and lopez beyond my beef of having Giannis and Lopez out at the same time which was a stretch that really worked for yeah. the Nets offensively in the first half and then happened somewhat again in the second the the process of that yeah
1: Bobby Portis by the way was negative 14 in the competitive portion of the game he superficially got it back to negative 3 with that 11 point run at, in garbage and so
2: run. So those, so your so two of your best defenders are out. Drew Holiday came back in for Brooks, so you still have Drew out there. PJ Tucker picks up his third personal with four minutes and fifty one seconds to go in the th- in the third quarter. Three fouls five minutes to go in the third. You're not in foul trouble. Now you're, you could be in foul trouble very quickly, but you're not in foul trouble. And we knew Durant was staying in. I mean, he, that's, that's what he does. And so PJ Tucker does not return in the game until eight minutes and 21 seconds are left in the fourth quarter. And it isn't, the reason the Nets expanded the lead during that time is not just because PJ Tucker was not on the four. and PJ Tucker finished the game with 28 minutes played and three fouls. And
1: Well, and there was a similar situation in the first half where Brook Lopez gets his second and ends up spending a substantial quarter, a substantial part of the second quarter on the bench, I guess because he had two fouls and he ends up playing 28 minutes. Yeah,
2: he ends up playing 28 minutes and committing two fouls. And, and so yeah. the the idea of, you know, I, and Brad Stevens, now no, not coach of the Celtics, deserves credit for this, and a few other coaches are basically like that. By pulling somebody, especially somebody who's not even in foul trouble yet, but who could be in foul trouble ahead of time, you're basically ensuring the worst outcome, which is that you're not going to have those players on the floor as much. and. Yes, you are mitigating certain disastrous ones, like you get a guy in real deep trouble. And fourth as as we're talking about foul trouble, the Nets completely avoided foul calamity at the end of the third quarter when Durant should have been called for his fifth, and uh, on a play when when Brooke Lopez should have gotten his second and one to end a quarter in consecutive quarters, but instead he instead they just called it a a, a made basket and not an and one, which it should have been.
1: Yeah, no, that was a that was like he fouled him. In it was two a horrendous no call. That play, both. And, blocking foul and he had his arm but so with
2: Budenholzer so okay so PJ Tucker and Brook Lopez two players that they also don't really have cogent replacements for it's not a circumstance where you have a Lopez twin or some other forward defender that you can put in the game like yeah if you have that circumstance then maybe you can be a little bit more cautious a little more judicious with those guys but Budenholzer doesn't have those players he doesn't have that luxury anymore and so that was I I thought that was a significant problem now yes blaming him for the the stars playing way Less than the Nets guys. The Nets guys went really hard. You know, they played a lot of minutes. They burned the candles.
1: Yeah, they they were on pace to play 39 minutes.
2: Exactly. 30, so, 30, 30. so 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 that, that part that, of it, that part of it that part of it I'm long. not I'm not going to throw any any dirt on Bootenholzer. But the other guys, I think it's totally deserved. And part of that, I mean, he had those those quotes which I mocked afterwards about we have a deep bench and like we need to play these guys. No, you don't. You you do you do you not don't. have a deep bench.
1: They didn't have a deep bench before David Judge got And so.
2: Bobby Portis has not, like, has not proven himself to be a playoff player against high-level opposition. Jeff Teague should not be on the floor in a playoff, in a competitive playoff minute at all.
1: Oh, yeah. Kyrie, Kyrie just completely rocked him in isolation any time they got and, matched up.
2: And and we'll see with Forbes. I mean, yeah, Forbes is going to hit more of his shots. And and and, yeah. and he got attacked a couple of times defensively. I thought I thought he did a better job than I anticipated. And Connaughton, I think he'll be, he'll be okay. Yeah. But the idea that those players need to be played or that they have somehow earned it? No. Yes, you beat the ever-loving stuffing out of the Miami Heat. This is not the Miami Heat. Even without James Harden, the Brooklyn Nets are an absolute bear. And thinking that you need to play—and and this is why I'm relying on or quotes, because you, you think that that illuminates his thought process, And when it, especially when it bears out with what we saw in this game and have seen previously. And if they're going to rely heavily on inferior players, they're not. that doesn't mean they're definitively going to lose the series or anything silly like that. I mean, I, I would favor the Bucks to win this series, knowing what we know right now, assuming Harden is basically out— but yeah it to use an old Denny Green phrase, it lets them off the hook. Like it you are making life easier on Brooklyn in very specific ways, and that is a potential problem. Now it, it, it doesn't it doesn't guarantee defeat, anything silly like that, but it makes victory more difficult.
1: Yeah, and then again the combinations as well. You said it, but having both Lopez and Giannis off the floor, like you can't stop the Brooklyn Nets with both of those guys off the floor with this personnel. You just can't do it.
2: You have you you have the you have the luxury of two elite rim protectors. Awesome, and yes, they played really well together. I thought there were some points when Giannis and Brooke out there like that created real trouble for Brooklyn because they would like you know you'd be navigating one and Giannis Giannis got a got a deflection or a block. He had two credit for two blocks in this game. But having the both of them is not as valuable as having one of them on the floor at all times.
1: So obviously there are, are a few things that I, I think both teams can cleanup and some things that are just going to accrue generally to the Bucks' advantage once again the the three-point shooting and the Bucks are going to have games probably where they shoot 45% from three in this series and in those games it's going to be very difficult for the Brooklyn Nets to keep up you would think obviously the minutes the fatigue level particularly given the amount that Kevin Durant had to battle physically in this game you just wonder how much how long in this series he can continue to do that
2: yeah I mean when he was going after Brooke when he was trying to defend Brooke Lopez on when the when the Bucks were on the defensive glass and then he was coming down the other way and trying to take a shot it's like he, that's so much yeah more.
1: and you know KD potentially getting in foul trouble or something that could happen as well the Bucks had 14 turnovers I don't think they are going to turn the ball over that many times although Giannis has been extremely turnover prone in his bad playoff games I think that was that was just a big part of, of his game I want to talk about the key stretch as well where KD. He really just gave it to Giannis at the end of the third quarter where the Nets built their lead and basically ended the game and only eight turnovers for the Nets. I mean, they do a lot of isolating. Uh, now they do when you send help or they get into the lane, they do do a great job of moving the ball and, and setting up three-pointers. That's probably an underrated aspect of this team, but... Another thing that I thought was fascinating in this game was transition, and the Bucks actually were had a very, very high percentage of their possessions in transition, and they were just absolutely terrible at converting, whether it was turnovers, the Bucs always run, but they're actually not that efficient of a transition team historically, in part because they run for threes a lot, and obviously when you're missing your threes, it makes your transition stats look pretty bad, and this was an exceedingly fast game too. And maybe, you know, that's part of the thinking with also that he's going to rest his guys more in the first half because he really rested his guys more in the first half like Giannis only played 17 minutes in the first half and that they were going to outlast the Nets but unfortunately there was no last five minutes of the game that mattered for them to outlast them in but and I think actually playing faster in this game at least I don't know if this will continue was better for the Nets because they hit their threes and they just got more plays in transition the Bucks defense is so good at protecting the rim so the Nets getting to the basket could occur more in transition just they couldn't load their defense as much and then i thought also that the bucks in the first half particularly kind of when they were getting pretty good shots less so in the second half Thought they really let the nets off the hook on with some early threes bad threes like probably you know if they had took 18 threes Great. in the first half i would say maybe like seven or eight of those were just like feet not set, quick release and that's how they play they want to play fast i get it but against this team i think that you can work for something better uh and so that's something to consider as well i do think though there's some some more things that the nets can do to create advantages against the bucks and one of those things is they didn't really run that much pick and roll at brooke lopez or bobby portis with KD and Kyrie portis he gets out on the floor and double teams. And usually he's out there with a group that can't really, not some of their best athletes. They can't really fly around that much. So anytime, if you're going to get double team, anytime you run a pick and roll of Bobby Portis, like that's pretty good. Do more of that. Now you can work the ball around and your main guys don't have to work that hard on those possessions to create an advantage. And then Brook Lopez, obviously is, he's not leaving the paint for any reason, basically. At one point they tried to get him further out on the floor, but it, not much of that. So KD in particular, I think, playing pick and roll and just the Nets screeners got to just, and they started doing this in the second half, as I mentioned, got to just set better screens uh, against pj tucker in particular and to just get kd the separation because it's not about slipping out of there and rolling to the rim for your advantage it's set a hard screen and just get kd one-on-one against brooke lopez and he's just going to shoot a 17-footer right in his face every time uh so that and uh also screening more uh, off-ball screening for joe harris with whoever lopez is guarding i think that could be really effective as well uh, that that's something that they can go to particularly if they're not going to play Kyrie and kd for the entire game basically Um, anything else you got in terms of like potential adjustments
2: no, I'm happy you brought up the, the 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 screening and the KD stuff. That was something we we talked about a lot in terms of an of an improvement that they do. I think in other games they'll probably need to go to DeAndre a little bit. I thought Blake played very well overall. Oh yeah, making four of nine threes. Yeah, that that was a threes, huge thing too
1: for him to be able to stretch out to the three point line and make him and be a credible threat. I thought was huge.
2: But to have another option in case that's not working, in case we see some more of first half Claxton instead of second. Now I think Claxton, a lot of the improvements that he made will continue. Uh, Um, But... I, I think that there there could potentially be a place for him in this series, and I think the long the longer they wait, and let, because I don't think I mean the last time I I can't remember the last time I really watched got extended minutes from DeAndre when I was watching, but I, I, he didn't look completely.
1: Cooked, no, I mean it's, yeah, it, he hasn't played basically since those games in Milwaukee uh, over right. a month ago.
2: And I thought that Mike James gave them some nice energy. We'll have to see if that continues. Yeah. Like you could see his defensive limitations come to the forefront. Like I think the challenge in many ways for Steve. Nash is going to be understanding like which of his other guys makes sense in that moment and I thought that the other thing that they that the Nets did really well in the late part of the game that they continue like the other part where they put the dagger in was getting moving the ball around and trying to have it find Joe Harris which actually I think that relates to something that the Bucks can do better which is threat identification which is there it isn't always necessarily run around run around hope that every hope that everybody gets covered if you're guarding the other maybe the best catch and shoot guy in the league, sometimes maybe you want to concede the other shot to a guy who's a little bit more limited and make sure that Joe Harris doesn't get the easiest shot that he can make.
1: I I agree with you on that. The Bucks can they just take Teague out of the rotation completely? And I certainly wouldn't want him to be out there when Kyrie is out there. Uh, although you also run the the potential risk of getting him involved to, with Kevin Durant. I might try to stagger him and Portis, and they only really have one point guard type of guy if you don't play Jeff Teague. Now, Bryn Forbes, all right, he could dribble it up a little bit. Maybe you just make Giannis the point guard. But it's also not like, is Jeff T, you know, he took two shots, right? Like, he's not, like, running any offense out there. like.
2: And and there were a lot of times when he was out there where he was more of a spot-up shooter. Like, there were possessions where they gave yeah. other people the race. And,
1: and, and he's not good at that. So, I mean, I think between Connaughton and Forbes... That and Middleton you
2: could, could do something if you wanted him out there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, but like, if you're just gonna say who's, you would have to. And again, I don't think this is a real weakness to me of Mike Budenholzer's. Is he just he he just kind of all right? I'm gonna take you out. I'm gonna put you in. Oh, you look tired. Okay, you're gonna go out now. Like it seems totally haphazard when he takes guys out of the game, and that there just there isn't like a forethought or a craft to do I have everything that I need at all times with this five-some on the floor? And if you're not going to play Teague, you got to be careful about that with your ball handling. But also the Brooklyn Nets aren't going to press you like this Philadelphia 76ers are, right? Like they're not going to pressure you up full court. Like you're probably going to be okay. Um, but, but they are a little, a little light on spacing and offense as well. Like even that starting lineup, particularly if you're going to have Brooke Lopez playing inside, Giannis can't shoot. Tucker can only shoot from the corners. Now you're really relying a lot on Middleton and holiday to make threes. I think they need to think more about just having Brook Lopez standing outside and spacing the floor and we'll see, you know, maybe he'll get hot. If he's going to, if he's not going to hit, then maybe you can get him, get him in there or you can, when, uh, Forbes is in the game or Connaughton is in for PJ Tucker. Those guys can shoot above the break three more. Then maybe you get Brooke Lopez down in the dunker spot or posting up a little bit more. I mean, I I understand what their plan was. And also worth noting that they created this plan for james harden being available right and so maybe they've probably felt like hey we can't just totally outscore these guys we got to kind of do the opposite and like get them in foul trouble and bludgeon them and tire them out and all that stuff and so maybe now they can adjust to be like no we just got to get a little more offense on the floor here we don't think these guys can score on us at a crazy rate so if we just if we can just score competently that's all we need and we can win the series so hopefully they will have a different plan a little bit uh with harden being out in terms of the rotation and where everyone's standing, what type of players they're running, etc. So yeah, the Nets still absolutely can win the series. Like you, I would favor the Bucks going forward, but I mean, you don't want to be down two zero <laughs> if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Like that's they could eat that. Could yeah, and, and like
2: and winning four out of six is difficult. The Nets are a capable opponent, and the other huge factor that it, it didn't really come in because Steve Nash at one point didn't want it to, but not only are the nets susceptible to another injury but also foul trouble for for any of their important players would be a huge problem now Kyrie doesn't he's not often he doesn't necessarily do it but durant especially now that he has to do more in a help capacity there are going to be i think there could be one or two games that swing in the series because he gets in foul trouble and they just either he fouls out or they just can't handle it um but
1: so so last thing on this game unless you have anything else uh the key stretch of the game 86 80 nets are kind of in control And a key play in the game, it's 86-80, Giannis gets fouled, misses both free throws. Pat Connaughton goes for the free throw offensive rebound, takes himself completely out of position, and as a result, Kyrie Irving just gets a wide open corner three off a missed free throw. Nine-point game. Giannis then tries to drive on Nick Claxton, just loses it, and then they get that sweet Kyrie lefty pass and transition to Shamit for a big dunk on Holiday.
2: I didn't know Shamit had that in him, by the way.
1: Uh, No, I didn't either. Uh, Lopez gets two free throws with a KD foul on the post, and then KD went to work, drove past Giannis, Tucker is out of the game at this point. Giannis is guarding him. I thought we were going to see Giannis on KD from the beginning. And I think it became pretty clear why we didn't. Because KD, I thought, really struggled with Giannis. Maybe that... Or, or sorry, Giannis really struggled with KD, which I think maybe that'll change. But So KD drives by Giannis. He hit just a ridiculous, like, cold-blooded score floater over both Giannis and Lopez. Then the Bucks. And Draymond Green actually tweeted about this of like, you can't just put Giannis in pick and roll. It's too easy to defend in the postseason. This is kind of an example of that where it, this, this Giannis is the pick and roll ball handler. They're trying to just, I think it was Teague trying to set a screen for him. And Jeff Teague standing at the dotted line trying to screen for Giannis. Like you're not going it, to, yeah, it's Landry Shamut there. But like, what, what are you going to do if you're Jeff Teague? Like, okay, now you just created a double team. Like Jeff Teague doesn't have anywhere to roll. He's not going to pop out to the three-point line from the dotted line. So Giannis just dribbles around, dribbles around. Nothing happens, and then he just backs up and shoots a three, which he misses. And then KD gets a rip-through move on Giannis and gets two free throws. They're in the bonus. Well,
2: we should talk about that challenge just briefly.
1: Um, Oh, yes, yes.
2: So originally they called they called a foul on they called a foul on Brooke Lopez. and is that correct? Yeah, they yeah, they called a yeah, foul and on, it would on have Lopez. been an
1: over the backbreaker free throws for Katie. Yeah,
2: it would have been two free throws for Katie, which he presumably would have made. And they did not rule it a foul on Durant, which would have been his fifth. instead they ruled it a jump ball, and then the bucks the Bucks won the jump ball.
1: I actually thought it wasn't a bad challenge, Uh, although I was surprised at the way it was overturned because those like loose ball scrum ones, it's kind of hard to overturn, but they did. They said it was no foul on anybody, but they could have potentially gotten a fifth on KD and they did at least wipe two points off the board. But then Giannis travels on a side pick and roll going into Nick Claxton and uh, didn't put the ball down quickly enough. Then KD gets a rip through on Giannis to two free throws. Drew Holiday missed the layup, which he had a bunch of pretty decent looks going through their smaller guards that he just couldn't convert. And then... That sick KD ISO on Giannis for a three puts the next up 16 and you know the Bucks never really threatened much after that uh I mean that ISO and that three I was just going nuts on the cast for that I mean that is just like Giannis contesting it as hard as you can contest it and KD just like sticks it right in his grill it was fantastic it was
2: amazing Uh, the only other thing I want to mention I alluded to this before but Brook Lopez getting and ones as the clock or it should have been and ones as the clock expired in both the second and third quarters was crazy that one got a long review it ended up being ruled correctly a rule that i was admittedly foggy on which is that if the foul occurs before the clock that stops the clock and so thus even though lopez's shot after the foul came after the buzzer it still counts
1: yeah because once once the foul takes place it's basically like an untimed down which i always enjoy in, in football so yeah, this would be interesting, particularly, I mean, down 1-0, you got to win four out of five to avoid a game seven. I think the Bucs can do that. I think they can come back with some good adjustments here. They have the superior personnel, but maybe the loss to DiVincenzo, if it means Teague playing more, and it may still, that's uh, that's going to be interesting. And for Brooklyn, you know, I don't know if they can get this much for Mike James. Like their guards did an awesome job of rebounding as well. Blake Griffin did an awesome job of rebounding. Blake hitting those threes is so. So huge like if he's not hitting those threes then all of a sudden maybe things change a little bit as well but then maybe they go to DeAndre uh although I think th- they're not going to go to De- DeAndre until either they lose a game or guys get in such bad foul trouble regarding Giannis that they just have no choice all right let's get now to The big, huge game, the game seven, looked like it was shaping up like it could be a classic as the Mavs surge into an 81 76 lead in the third. And then all of a sudden, the Clippers go on a devastating 21 2 run, and the Mavs never really were able to threaten after that. And, uh, you know, I want to just, you and I, I did this solo for the cast today. You and I haven't talked about this at all. So I was just curious. I wanted to know, like, what some of your big picture thoughts were having watched this game since we haven't talked about it at all
2: so i, I thought that the clippers continued something that had been true for a lot of the series where the, they were forcing the mavericks into a very difficult choice Either Kawhi Leonard is going to kind of get his get to get to the get to his spots, or you're going to concede really good looks to their support players. In certain situations, if your defense is bad enough, you concede both. And what was profoundly different from this game, than I, I think this was game six, I could be wrong, and it was five, but I believe it was six. Is that not universally, but in a larger proportion than previously, those support players made their shots. And so Marcus Morris, who had an absolutely brutal
1: go of it in and it was game six by the way you're thinking of where only reggie jackson Kawhi, and paul george made threes they only made 10 for the game
2: yeah and so like marcus morris one of 10 in game six and i wouldn't say that his looks were significantly better in game seven but he was 8 of 5, 7 of 9 from 3. Took some of them confidently. Reggie Jackson was 3 yeah, of 8. That,
1: that's what it was. the The confidence, really. I'm glad you said that because hitting his first couple made him start to hunt that shot because he was passing up shots. And he did that a couple of times in this game where he stepped in for a missed <laughs> long two. Uh and he actually was only one out of six on two pointers, but seven of nine from three in this game. But yeah, I mean he, he was fantastic just hitting shots. Also defensively, again, yes. he was really good. But so
2: so that was one. Um and like Terrence Mann had a big first half where I mean it looked like he wasn't even like he wasn't necessarily intended to be a part of it, but that, that was that was Marcus Morris that got in foul trouble with memory serves.
1: Yeah, I mean and, that that was pretty huge uh because he actually was doing a pretty good job on Luca uh when you get switched on then Luca I mean we'll talk more about Luca's game but oh yeah he, he well that I mean tombs, in, um, as well. in,
2: in a normal circumstance I think I would have actually the first thing we talked about was how incredible Luca was in this game but those Dallas support players they and 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 a couple times they did a nice job on the offensive glass um I want to talk about Dorian Finney-Smith's night on the offensive glass as well later but those shots were available largely throughout the series and intermittently like even Rondo took and made an open three like it was You could kind of see it spreading throughout. Canard had some good moments, which was weird enough in and of itself. Um, Good moments, meaning he took the shots he has to take and some of them went in. Not like he was doing brilliant things out there. But that that made life so much easier for the Clippers. They ended up with a 134 offensive rating, 68% true shooting. And remember, like this was, I mean, in the first half, like Luka set the world on fire and they were still down because the Clippers weren't missing anything. They were 24 of 38 from the field in the first half.
1: Yeah, particularly in the first quarter when Luka got going with three three-pointers that and Ended up five eleven, but a, a number of those were kind of gunned late. You know, Luca's stats looked a little bit better superficially because the last two minutes or so he was they were kind of letting him score a little bit. It, um, and obviously he was amazing with, with forty five points. But yeah, I mean those support guys hitting the threes and the Mavs support guys missing. It. I mean Luca was five eleven. Finney Smith was wonderful four seven, and Porzingis zero for five, and Hardaway was one for nine. Hardaway had this weird like foot sprain looking type of thing when he came down from a jumper went to the locker room came back ended up playing 43 minutes he looked like he was moving past I don't know exactly what happened to him but it didn't seem to hamper his movement but he obviously didn't shoot very well um and they also were just struggling to find any kind of guard play off the bench, both Brunson and Oh or,
2: oh or well, I I to wanna talk about that. But not but not before we not before we talk about Luca.
1: Yeah, well and and we also should talk about Kawhi Leonard as well. Yes. But yeah, so Luca comes out and what we said in game six was that he just couldn't get the separation he just didn't have the energy and it takes you know it doesn't look like he's moving that fast but it takes just a lot of strength to accelerate and then decelerate and accelerate again that's that's what his game is so that takes a lot of like explosion and he didn't have that in game six And i'm like well how's he gonna have that in game seven on a you know 36 hour turnaround basically but he did right at the start and and Kawhi was on him He was able to get some switches, go after more. uh, Nick Batum, go after some of the guards as well, turn the corner, even had so much juice that he was like shaking Kawhi at times. He got the step back working from three, and he's got 19 points in the first quarter, and they're down, or they're up three, but again, that's because the Clippers guys were making all their shots, and the Mavs guys weren't really, and so that that was a big disappointment for dallas at the time i was like well dallas is really outplaying them but you just the way they have faded largely in second halves in this series particularly as the series has gone on was a, a cause for concern that ended up being a problem so and Kawhi kept pace with 13 of his own in the first and then he actually doesn't score in the second and the clippers outscore him 35 24 with guys like morris making shots Terrence Mann hits a couple of threes in the first half. One of them was even like a nice like sidestep dribble flyby, which you didn't think that Terrence Mann really had that in his game. If he if he becomes a reliable three point shooter, like he's gonna be an awesome play. He's gonna be like a better version of Patrick Beverly at his peak because he's just bigger and more athletic. And
2: well, and something uh, sorry, yeah. something I want to mention going back to Luca a little bit in that first quarter. As a scorer, he did Luca did most of his damage on jump shots, which was really I mean, and it when Luca's drilling his jumper, it's just spellbinding because so many other parts of his game, and then there were other moments later on, like there was one in the fourth quarter where Luca posted up Marcus Morris and just got him into the goal. It's just like, what the shit? Like, I mean, we we, we talked somebody asked us on, on when we did game six on Hot Mike about like where Luca's game might be going, and we both talked about his post ups. And it's just he's already so strong, and you wonder where that could be. But I wanted, there was one really weird part that stuck with me, and I would have fixated on this if we had been doing the show together. Luca was phenomenal in this game, and I'm not changing any of that. When he came back in in the second quarter, he had two horrendous turnovers in a row. And I and, and the first one didn't I, I think it was Reggie missed an open three on in transition and then Luca turns it over again and Boban fouls and then Marcus Morris drills the three and goes up to six and it's just like it was just it was so surreal because I think one of them was like a floater floaty past of Boban that got tipped and everything else and it was part of why it stuck struck out to me was that Luca doesn't do that very often
1: yeah and he did have six turnovers uh, in this game um you know I think uh, were you surprised that they stuck with Boban in the starting lineup after a of seemed like Carl, I was like well this is done this isn't working yes. anymore after they put Kawhi at the free throw line
2: yeah i i thought that i thought i was very surprised because it the way that it failed I think towards the end of game six, it seemed like that was going to be the story if they went back to it in game seven. And instead, you know, let's, used use the kind of the first stretch of time as, as a decent marker of that. When, when Boban left the game, it, they was basically tied. And then Terrence man had just drilled a three. I think that the Terrence man had just hit a couple of them, but I think it was, it was a three right there. And so that was the only reason the Clippers were up. I, I thought that they, that, that they were up at that point it was nip and tuck throughout that. And then in the third quarter, when Boban was in is when Dallas, did that run so they went from 8 points down to 5 points up when Bo- and then and then Boban came out and I don't think it's like then 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 the Clippers came back because Boban was out or anything crazy like that but it was like oh no sorry they went they went 8 points up and I think they had already lost some of the lead if memory serves when um when Boban came out and anyway
1: yeah but but nonetheless I mean he played 31 minutes he was negative 1 in a game that they lost pretty significantly um you know I think it worked offensively still part of the reason it worked was because for some totally dumb reason and this is even with marcus morris guarding boban as well who had done a pretty good job on luca they're just putting two on the ball Uh. and 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 i don't i don't every single time literally every single time they did that the mavs got a great shot Luca just always makes the right decision out of that he's so tall they had one time finally where they actually got a deflection and a steal like in the second like in the fourth quarter yeah, when and, the game was like largely out of reach already. and
2: to his credit Beaubon also made some nice passes in some of those situations yeah, too when Porzingis
1: he get... cutting in along the baseline had some dunks.
2: Kristaps Porzingis low usage opportunistic cutter was such a weird development in this game on the last couple of games where like he was standing in the corner not really touching the ball not doing a whole heck of a lot yeah porzingis actually mixed missed all five of his threes but he had some opportunistic cuts and was able to finish those for dunks and also had one of the more ridiculous shots i've ever seen him hit he got a flaming bag with like one second left shot a turnaround from one step inside the three-point line and drilled it so Nate, so, yeah, you're,
1: the, you're, the uh and the zone I, I mean i don't think it worked like they were giving up wide open threes to great shooters. And when Morris was hitting particularly, like th- the Clippers had a 134 offensive rating for the whole game in this one. And even with Luke on fire, the Clippers still were able to keep pace with 35 points. Granted, part of that was in the first quarter, part of that was hitting more threes even than you would expect against a zone where guys are open. But also like, I it really, it wasn't working incredibly well i also thought that lou had some nice adjustments they probably ran this 10 times where they actually you know that 45 pick and roll that we talk about sometimes where they'll set basically a screen that's like Two guys making an L, so there's just like literally no way to get through the screen, and so they actually did that on the guy, one of the guards in the zone, just so that like then they would have to help out in the zone, like way out of area, and then get a bunch of rotation. Like the first time, Paul George got a wide open three; they probably ran that another ten times, and they got pretty decent looks out of it every time. Like they forced Porzingis to come up from the baseline, and then you could throw it to the corner and get a shot. Like Tyloo definitely brought brought out some good stuff. I thought they could have got. On to trying to get the ball to the free throw line a little bit more than they did but they were lighting up the zone I, I think it, it was really you know the whole Boban thing was so they could get enough offense because they just didn't have an option to stop the Clippers anyway like they just weren't able to do it regardless of who was on the floor and so they figured we got to just go to our best offensive lineup which was with Boban and hope, hope that they trap him <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which trap Luca, which uh, it was so it, ludicrous when you consider
2: well. that what happened in game six was when they trapped it went terribly and when they didn't trap it went fine and then they go back to the traffic in game seven
1: yeah they there were 40 possessions according to synergy of zone that were played by the Mavs. basically any time off of a make or a dead ball when Boban was in the game they went to the zone and you know i did think that chris Staps, porzingis he's going to come into some fire will we'll, actually i guess we'll kind of talk just overall mavs situation at the end here but what else do you have from uh, the meat of the game here
2: i really liked jalen brunson this season i thought that you know this finishing around the rim we did a whole thing on a 15 and 60 about it like they the, and, and all that and the mavericks could not generate reliable offense in the half court when Luka Doncic was not in the game. They could not do it. And the Clippers are, have a lot of defensive talent, though a lot of times that defensive talent isn't in the game. Like, for example, Kawhi's minutes were largely squaring with Lucas in this one. And that's a huge problem. And... I like Brunson, and but I mean, and, and that was something I talked about a little bit back in the time. Was that like Brunson's on-offs look really good? But part of that is because the Luca, the Jalen Brunson, Luca minutes have been better offensively than when Brunson's having to run the show by himself. And I think he'll do better. Like I don't think that's a circumstance, but maybe they want to go to. I mean, they had some. I mean, Trey Burke was on the floor a couple different times this, but I think Carlisle's going to need a different theory of the case during that, at least in these high leverage times, because part of why Luca is playing. So so many minutes is that they don't have anything that they can go to, to generate offense in those minutes. And you can't survive.
1: Well, I- the other thing I thought, too, is just they, they needed to do more to get Luca the ball when he's not just, like, straight up isolated. And they sure. ran a couple of sets. Like, they had, they put Burke in the game, had him run a side pick and roll, and then they threw it to Porzingis at the opposite elbow, and they're denying Luca, and then Porzingis could kind of hit him on a little backdoor. You know, a lot of teams kind of r- run that now. Hit him on a little backdoor on the move. They scored off of that, which worked pretty well, but yeah, or just e- even, like, having Luka running out of the corner or something, you know, especially to do that, setting a screen with one of the guards uh, who they did not want to switch on to Luka. I thought that those Clippers guards largely did a very good job. Part of, you know, Finney Smith hit a couple of threes on, on those pick and pops. But Jackson, Kennard, I thought Connard in particular actually did a good job of just stepping out on Luca just enough and then, you know, forcing him to give the ball up. Uh, Luca was not able to get much of an advantage going downhill uh, in those pick and pops being set by smaller players to involve the Clippers guards. And I would also give Ty Lu again, credit for the adjustments. So the specific plays he had against the zone were good and he didn't play Rajon Rondo in the second half, yeah. who didn't deserve it. Rondo did hit one three and he did have one nice hit ahead pass, but he also so it was really throttling the clippers offense in the first half when they just weren't guarding him and you know he had or he had a bunch of plays where he because he couldn't hit a shot he was like trying to cut under the basket where like he's not going to finish that he's just gumming up the works for like like Paul George had an ISO uh, on for example where Rondo just runs right under the rim and Paul George can't drive because of that so yeah like going to Kennard instead of Rondo I thought was pretty inspiring going to Mann instead of Rondo was pretty inspiring and like credit to Tyloo to play Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann over Patrick Beverly and Rajon Rondo in this series like that that is good coaching and it's like yes he did not have his team ready to play in the first two games by any stretch of the imagination they had so many dumb errors in the first two games just giving up dunks at key, uh key times of the game and yeah the mavs had a crazy outlier shooting performance the first three games which didn't continue but they also really really improved their defense quite a bit and particularly you know down the end of games as well and he he pushed the right buttons he benched Zubots as well played Kawhi and george the minutes that they could handle those guys did not wear down at the end of games so he he focused on that and played those guys the minutes that they could play and yes the clippers had more talent this should have been a shorter series than it was but part of the reason that it wasn't was rick carlisle who's coming under some fire here particularly it seems like locally in dallas Like, I'm sorry, you thought the Mavs were winning the series? Like, yes, okay. They were up 2-0 and they're up 3-2. And fine, you want to say it's like some big collapse. How the fuck do you watch this series and say the Mavs weren't getting every single bit out of the talent that they had available? I mean, I think it's just that they were even close to in this position. I mean, he basically Rick Carlisle pulled Game Five out of his ass with this Boban zone adjustment. Like, and some people are saying they stuck with it too much. I don't think so because what else was what else was working right? Like, like you just had to go get to your best offensive group. Porzingis can't score one on one. Bronson couldn't do anything, and, so and they had to go to Boban. He
2: basically manufactured another guy who could work in this series because Maxi Kleba, I, I mean, if, if Kleba had yeah. been healthy enough to really be a difference maker, then the calculus is different. He wasn't
1: yeah but but he was no he he clearly wasn't and he couldn't guard Kawhi and that him being healthy might have changed things that if they had gotten and it was really a shame because you could tell people like okay they kind of got him ready to play in game one and two and he looked really great and he was hitting threes his defense was solid uh although obviously Kawhi cooked him in game two but he just like that's just what happens with these injuries where okay you can kind of get it ready to play but then when you're playing over every other day over the course of a series it's just going to continue to deteriorate until you really get ready rest you know for months probably and really get it to where it needs to be so you know yeah
2: a a couple other things talk about um from this one Dorian finney smith having six offensive rebounds in the first half i thought that and there was this one stretch where he had uh, uh,
1: how about one rebound for the clippers in the first quarter total yeah that's true and yeah and, and he was that was, uh, that was pretty good because he was getting guarded by the likes of Reggie Jackson. And he just went right to the glass and beasted him. Boban had a bunch of offensive rebounds as and, well. And it's,
2: and it's partially the Clippers aren't a great running team. And partially, like, he was working his ass off to get back when he didn't get the rebound. And so they weren't really sacrificing anything. Also... We gave him, we talked a lot about the special performance that Kawhi did in game six, but here are Kawhi Leonard's full stats for the series. 32 points per game on 62% from the field, 43% from three on 5.7 per game, eight assists, or sorry, eight rebounds, five assists, and spent most of the key moments of the later part of the series guarding Luka Doncic. Incredible performance by him.
1: Yeah. And that he was still able to be the stronger of those two guys at the end of the game was pretty remarkable, especially considering he's what, like nine years (laughs) Lucas senior or something like that? Something like that. And and also, John Schumann had this stat. This is the second highest e field goal percentage ever for a player averaging 30 points per game or more in a playoff series in the last 55 years. And some pretty crazy names on that list LeBron in some of those Toronto series, it includes. Cleveland, Kareem in the second round in 1977. Like there are just some really just I mean, like Kawhi Leonard is he is that guy he is like an inner circle hall of famer type of guy to this point in his career and yeah the bubble was really weird but this guy fucking brings it in the playoffs uh basically at all times other than the end of that denver series and also interesting was you know we always say game seven like you know low scoring blah blah this was the opposite of that this was uh at halftime the clippers had a 146 offensive rating and dallas had a 129 offensive rating and law murray had that the it's only the fourth game seven in nba history and the first since 1965 where both teams scored more than 60 points at halftimes this was a huge offensive game and you know there was a little drought for the clippers right at the start of the third and bobon really got going again during that period and dallas getting up to that lead of 81 76 and then they just basically couldn't score forever. I mean, it was however you want to classify the run, it was twenty-one to two. It was, you know, like thirty-four to six, I wanna say, at one point. Uh I don't think it was, it was quite like that quite extreme, that but bad. it was it was a but lot. It, it was
2: um one name I don't yeah. recall that we've said it at all during the course of this section on this game is the second best player on the Clippers, Paul George. Um, it was a strange game for him as has happened sometimes in big ones. He had he did end up with 10 assists, but also had four turnovers, some of the mind-bending variety. And I would argue, just as it was in game six, that the best things Paul George did were getting to the free throw line when, at the times when he was a little bit more aggressive, got fouls. I thought a couple of the fouls were a little bit charitable, but most of the time I thought they were pretty reasonable. And so PJ ended up with 22 points on 20 shooting possessions
1: with four turnovers and 10 assists. Yeah, the 10-assist was big. I mean, he's always going to have these ball-handling flubs that are going to look really bad. But uh, he was solid in this game. He was guarding Porzingis most of the time and that's you know people want to say well why was Kristaps Porzingis not more involved offensively well because he had Paul George on him and so if you ran a pick and roll with him and Luca, then they're just going to switch Paul George onto Luca. I mean that was like at least like the Clippers did have to burn their second best defender and it, and actually they burned Kawhi Leonard early in the series on Porzingis and that I think was actually you know a big mistake by Ty Lue um so yeah, I mean, we'll do a preview at some point here of Clippers in Utah, but I do, I do have a hot take right now. I think the LA Clippers might be my favorite to win the championship right now. So uh, just gonna leave that out there. We'll, we'll talk more. They could easily lose this series to Utah.
2: I, I'm not, I, sure. I'm not emotionally but, ready to predict anything on the Clippers yet. With the amount of times that I, the the amount of times we that I got to, things wrong in this series. I mean, I think the only thing I got right was thinking that the Clippers were going to win game seven after the first six games happened. Um, and I guess my overall series prediction was Clippers in six. So that wasn't too far off. But the the way this series ebbed and flowed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I... I...
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't think that the Clippers would win the series once they went down 2-0 or 3-2, but I certainly felt like they had a very good shot at it. And so I think that's right, baby. My faith in the Clippers has never wavered and nor should it. Okay, uh, let's let's talk about the last game of the day here. And, you know, we'll have time to talk more. We're already at the hour mark here in terms of recording time. So we've got more time to talk about the Mavs offseason as well. They've got some questions. But the one thing i would say too is if the dallas mavericks had just drawn basically any other first round matchup these last two years they got completely screwed oh that that was that
2: that was the other thing i wanted to say um you know basketball history better than i do but somebody who i can't think of anybody who has elevated my belief in their playoff ability more in two playoff series that his team lost both of than him like i know michael jordan had the had the crazy one where he had 63 in the garden that was his second playoffs yeah against that was in and there and that was a sweep but i like you would remember that series in 85 against the bucks better than no
1: i mean did. i wasn't even um, i was not really alive as yeah. a fan at that but
2: point, so like but. that's that's what's so crazy about luca though is like you think about how how we th- you know that he what he was able to accomplish in these series Against a game dangerous opponent and being the the alpha and the omega for their offense is phenomenal and like it's it it is a it is a funeral but it is a Viking funeral for Luka Doncic in these playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, what this Mavs team was like very similar to 2018 Cleveland, where you've kind of got like this shooting big as your second best player, Kyrie is gone already for that team. You just got this heliocentric guy and you've got shooting around him, but you know those Cleveland teams never had to play in the Eastern Conference a team the quality of this Clippers team by any stretch of the imagination and no it's a great accomplishment to get as far as he did but you also have to wonder you know especially being in the West how far can this Luka versus uh, with a bunch of shooters strategy really take them and they tried to get better defensively this year it sure as hell didn't work in this series they got completely destroyed to the point that they had to do this Boban zone thing to keep up offensively all right that's enough on them let us now get to what John Hollinger called the drunkest last five minutes of a game he could remember in a long time. But uh, that uh, that last five minutes, we'll talk about it, but I think ultimately it is ancillary.
2: I mostly agree.
1: So let's talk about the meat of the game here. And uh, obviously it begins with the injuries. Joel Embiid was questionable. He played. He looked very good offensively, although he did come down a little awkwardly going for an offensive rebound and kind of, and he was, I saw him rubbing his knee on the bench, but also he completely dominated inside even after he, he had done that. So he looked like he was fine, at least on offense. And then on the other side of things, DeAndre Hunter, who I thought would be a key factor, both as a floor spacer on one end and the guy who's going to guard Tobias Harris on the other end. He's got a week off and he can't play with the sore knee that has obviously troubled him all year. They got him ready for that Knicks series. There was no real problem. He, it seemed like he played well. He was very good in the closeout game. And now he's out. And you have to imagine if they couldn't get him right with a week off. That I mean, okay, maybe they can get him right for like one game and then he's going to swell up and not be able to play again. Like, but I, it's hard to imagine he can be a factor in this series at this point going forward so you felt like at the beginning of the game like oh this is the hawks are fucked here
2: you did and hunter played 34 minutes in game five he played in he didn't play a ton of minutes necessarily in all those remember he he was coming back he barely played in the end of the hawks regular season before the playoffs and then got a week off because the hawks uh, were high enough in the seating that they didn't that they didn't need to play in the play-in so yeah that was really deflating solomon hill started in his place and through the meat of the game I I mean I I just kept on thinking myself like how could this other than injuries how could this be more disastrous for the Sixers I mean the early part of the game was it I don't think they do this kind of masterclass because it's a it's a good product but it was a masterclass on how not to defend Trey Young like they were just the the multitude of failures that they had of giving him shots or like the my favorite one was Joel Embiid moving so it was I think it was it the towards the end of the first. quarter, quarter Joel Embiid basically conceded the floater. Then Trey Young didn't take it. Then he moves over, and Trey Young lobs it to Glen Capella. Where it's like he got both things. It wasn't like you didn't take away anything. And Trey, you know, had had a 35 and 10 game, he, yeah. and and he missed 25 some
1: shots in the first half too, which was Tw- yeah. one of. I mean, this is supposedly a good six. I mean, this they flirted with it being the a number one defense. defense. It is a good six defense, but I mean, Trey Young destroyed them. Absolutely, completely destroyed them in the first half with 25 points I forget how I many he had like 6 assists or something too but he was just controlling absolutely everything and they just had no answers no plan
2: I mean the Hawks took 23 threes in that first half and most of them were wide open yeah.
1: 13 of 23 and, from 3 in the first half but yeah. and, and well I, I will say Bogdanovich ended up 5 of 12 from 3 and he hit a cold-blooded one at the end which is uh, the, the the rest of it was not cold-blooded for the Hawks at the end but that, that was and he hit two just like on the move quick guns where i was the ones from the new york series where i was like i mean i guess he's been hitting these the last couple of months but like these are awful shots but he's making them um and he was doing that at the expense of ben simmons we'll talk about the matchups obviously too but i mean it was just an absolute tour de force of offensive basketball watching trey young go to work in that first half and now of course a big part of it also occurred I mean you're right Dan there are just so many things that went wrong with the Sixers I mean it, I guess the other thing to talk about Trey Young I guess is who they put on him they put Danny Green on him and Danny Green maybe like not even five years ago maybe Danny Green in like 2014 would have been a decent matchup for Trey Young and I guess the thinking was that they wanted to have Simmons guard Bogdanovich and they're just gonna he comes off a screen so they're just gonna erase Bogdanovich from the well, series
2: but if, if you if you were going to erase Bogdanovich from the series probably should have told Ben Simmons, because on the first two plays, he overhelped and conceded open threes to Bojan B- Bogdanovic. Like, yeah. Ben Simmons, and, and if Joel and Bede were not playing, and so like, okay, we really need supplemental rim protection, even though the Hawks don't, yeah. you know, like they they have Collins and they have Capella, they have guys that can attack it. Simmons, like, it was driving me completely crazy. Like, you could, at certain moments, and I mean, yes, he was an important part of their success late, but I couldn't tell whether he was failing to, whether he was failing to execute and he was freelancing and just being like, okay, like I, am just going to try to be disruptive and I'm going to do all this stuff or whether they just had a completely trash game plan. I, I, it could be either. I'm genuinely unsure. But one of those two things in those, because like there were so many situations where you would see somebody who was like limited in other ways, or you'd see them, you'd see the Sixers conceding something. and You're like, the Hawks are a very good team. But you don't have to concede everything. Like, you could take some of these things away. They have, the Sixers have wonderful defensive talent. And before, I mean, so that's one thing. So they have this, like, massive defensive failure at the beginning of the game. And full credit to Trey Young. He was playing yeah. phenomenally. And, and let me and, let me
1: say more on Danny Green, too. Danny Green sure. is the fourth best option to defend Trey Young on this team. I would say it's Ben Simmons, either George Hill or Matisse Thybul, two and three. And then Danny Green as number four. And... A lot of their scheme ended up looking bad because Danny Green was just too slow to direct the ball where it was supposed to go. Yes. And so Trey's rejecting a bunch of screens, blowing by guys into the lane, or he's just, you know, one-on-one even before the screen gets there, crossing over, creating separation. He hits some deep threes, which are, I mean, just fucking sick shots. Like, let's let's be honest. But, like, Danny Green just is not quick enough to even like we're not even talking about staying with trey young i'm talking about just like keeping him on a certain side of the floor and he's a veteran like he knows what he's supposed to be doing he just was not able to execute that against trey and then trey you know the first couple of floaters that trey hit were pretty difficult shots but then they started really getting easy stuff and he's also just an unbelievable passer like there if and this goes back to joel Embiid as well who maybe is limited by the meniscus maybe not i think he's one of the best defensive players in the nba during the regular season but they don't have an answer for trey young because he has to be in a drop coverage and they tried blitzing in the in the second half and kind of worked a little bit better but you're still putting two on the ball and trey's going to get out of that and the hawks have shooters all over the place and they got guys who will move the ball along the perimeter and drain shots so like that's not some panacea to get your 7-2 rim protector 25 feet from the rim right at the start of the possession that's not going to help you too much either you can't switch so the they're definitely a concern about the lack of defensive facility for versatility for Embiid we thought that maybe with Simmons healthy it wouldn't be as much of a problem uh obviously it's not a problem against the Washington Wizards who don't have a good offense in in the first round but we saw it against the Celtics last year that that guy who can shoot the ball uh coming off the the dribble in the pick and roll is a problem for the Sixers and particularly when Trey Young also has the floater and also has like the unbelievable passing game that he has when he breaks the paint like he's always going to find the right guy so this it's it may be a problem for the Sixers then they tried to put Ben Simmons on him at the start of the third and Trey drew a couple of fouls on him quickly so uh the defensive player of the year wasn't really able to spend too much time on Trey Young uh, yet another this is this game yet another indication of why it's ridiculous for any perimeter player not to mention Ben Simmons to be defensive player of the year at this in this day and age as well because you just you can't just shut a guy down like Trey Young uh maybe he'll do it later in the series we'll see so yeah it's uh ne- oh. yeah go ahead so uh, I was
2: going to trade So you have that first stretch and things are going horrendously for the Philadelphia 76ers. They're down 34 22 when Trey Young comes out of the game. They gave up thirty they gave up thirty-four points Uh, in the first nine and a half minutes of the game. And then Doc Rivers
1: decided to take Chris Paul and Blake Griffin both out at the same time.
2: And (laughs) we lampooned Mike Budenholzer for you having some truly terrible theory of the lineup combinations out there but holy shit were those bench units for the Sixers terrible so they're not playing against the Hawks are a deep team especially when healthy but they were not exactly facing a murderer's row there I believe the lineup during during that stretch at the end of the first quarter was Lou Williams Tony Snell Kevin Herter Danilo Gallinari and Onyeka Kongwu and they got the Sixers got run
1: yeah it, it was ugly and you know they had Dwight Howard out there they I don't think that they went back to Dwight in the second half if memory serves I think or if they did it was for like a minute he played you well he played eight minutes in the in I think it was all in the first half he was a negative 15 so that and they're trying to keep him I mean that because that's the problem right like Dwight Howard can't play with Ben Simmons because there's not enough shooting and he's also the backup for Joel Embiid and so you basically like you have to have both of those guys off the floor at the same time now they used to be built where they could stagger those guys but then to also have Tobias Harris off the floor as well and they yes. brought Harris back in kind of during the end of that carnage also i think the fact that doc rivers didn't actually have to coach a real series in the last series whereas nate mcmillan did i think it was really good for nate mcmillan because he really fit a lot of those things that he had to clean up where they lost game 2 for example because he probably because he didn't stagger Bogdan and Trey well he does that now and he maybe lost game game 2 because he only played Trey Young 35 minutes because Lou Williams quote unquote had it going well Lou Williams had it going and he put Trey Young back in the game anyway in the second quarter, despite the fact that that Lou Will uh, had scored eight quick points. So Nate McMillan kind of, like, figured his shit out in the first round, and Doc Rivers was not, like, disabused of some of these bad notions. There really was no kind of a stress test at all.
2: That's a great point. And I, you know, I picked the Hawks in the series. I picked the Hawks in the series thinking that Joel Embiid was going to maybe come back in Game 3 or Game 4. And... Then you so you get to these you know the the just horrendous lives So it starts out actually pretty well. So they they pull all the, they they pull all their guys. Maxi Maxi hits a shot in the lane, and then Thibel hits a three. He Thibel hits the three at with one twenty three remaining in the first quarter. Philadelphia's next points by any means comes with seven forty two left in the second quarter. That's they bad. They had a five minute stretch of a playoff game where they did not score a point.
1: Yeah, I mean what what and did that what did sure, that run was, end up? being it's like 17 nothing or something like that
2: yes it was 17 it was seventeen zero, zero and that play and the one that they ended up scoring on was a transition off a turnover it wasn't even like they got anything in the half court and yes in that stretch there were a few shots like Quark I think missed one that was a pretty clean look, and there were a couple of weird turnovers and everything else. But there was no theory of the lineup offensively, and you have some disruptive defensive players, but you don't have a, a ton of it. And like they did, the the Sixers were able the, they weren't able to like prevent everything that that Atlanta wanted to do, especially when Bogdanovich came back in at the start of the start of the second. Something that we we already praised McMillan for, and you could say like and, and so even like so if we're gonna kind of like if we pause the game when things when things got drunk at the very end you could say oh that stretch like that really cost the game it's like yeah to a certain extent but like they were still getting out i i thought the sixers were largely getting outplayed other than that it was just more it was closer to even than that stretch where they got demolished
1: yeah the turnovers completely killed philly during during that stretch and atlanta had 42 points in the first and they had like a 160 offensive rating they're hitting every three and Philly really kept pace with them. They had a 150 offensive rating when they didn't turn it over, but they turned it over nine times in the first quarter. And then it just got worse from there. The overall, the all bench unit you mentioned had five turnovers and eight possessions at one point. And obviously the Hawks were taking advantage of that. Also, some of the other highlights, the Sixers somehow managed to turn Danilo Gallinari dribbling into the backcourt into four free throws. Like Danilo Gallinari bringing the ball up. They fouled him once in the backcourt and Thibault goes for a bad gamble and then gets out of position and fouls him on the drive. Uh Dwight Howard tried to get a foul on a rip through move and just lost it for a fast break. Um and uh I, I thought actually a kongu Kind of learned a little bit. Like, first, Tyrese Maxey went at him three times in pick and roll. The first time, Okongu gets too far up on the floor and Maxey blew by him for a layup. The second two times, he stays back and got stops on him at the rim. So, obviously, the adjustment for Philly has to be that you, I mean, I understand why you're going to take Embiid and Simmons out at the same time if Howard is going to play. So, the adjustment is Howard's going to not play, and then maybe you're going to move Ben Simmons to center in those minutes when Embiid is not on the floor if you are going to play yeah, Howard I mean in,
2: yeah. in, in some of them you just have Tobias Harris right
1: right yeah I mean that's your other option if you must play Dwight Howard who I just I don't like having that rim protection doesn't really seem to be like that amazing in this series we'll see he could maybe play a little bit better than than he did and, and it wasn't all his fault obviously there's but it, it's just tough for them to score when when he's out there and uh Shake Milton played one minute and had to travel and then was taken out of the game immediately. (laughs) Uh, George Hill only played 11 minutes and was negative 17. Didn't even like get close to a look at all. I I would like to see more of him playing with the starters. And I think that him as a possibility guarding Trey rather than Danny Green, I would like to see them try that. If it's not going to be Ben Simmons from the start, Ben Simmons says he wants to guard Trey more, but he complained that he got some of those touch fouls and, Got in foul trouble in the third. Um, Joel Embiid though did look really good. Do you agree, uh, offensively?
2: Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And there were there were some a few limitations from the movement that we saw defensively, but no, he was extremely dominant. A criticism. And I, I think that uh, a criticism for me of Quint Capella is that I thought, even though Joel Embiid wasn't hitting the jump shot, I thought that he didn't challenge that enough. I th- I think generally you should make Joel Embiid drive more often anyway, just because he turns the ball over a bunch. But when somebody's dealing with a messed up meniscus and you want it, it's a, it's more physical work for them to do it. And yeah, you, they don't have the greatest rim protection. But I thought he was conceding, he was conceding some easy shots and. And then that kind of well, so, in certain so ways let, me, him... let
1: me let uh, me I generally agree with you. I've said that before on many a live cast that you can't just let Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid turn and face and shoot because he's just going to make that shot. He's turned himself into a wonderful mid-range shooter. But once you're up by 24 points. I think it changes at that point. All right, we'll get a light contest on your mid-ranger. I don't think that you can make up 24 points with Joel Embiid shooting from mid-range over and over again as a steady diet.
2: And and Joel
1: Embiid driving in, and first they're like, you know, double teaming him on the catch 17 feet from the basket. Like, yeah, now you're going to potentially give up threes. That's how you could possibly give up a comeback. Or Clint Capella lets him drive, you know, and then fouls and that's a, another way that you can give up a, a comeback when you're just letting them get to the foul line uh let them set up their defense which uh, was a bit of a problem for the Hawks at well, the end and, as well and
2: and also capella being in foul trouble is something that you want to avoid so like that's if you if you want to try to pull it off yeah
1: um it looked like the Sixers might be jumping back into it they get it down to 79-64 midway through the third and then the Hawks get seven straight points And they kind of yo-yoed back and forth from 22 to 15 um, with just... some kind of dumb plays, on either on like uh, Solomon Hill fouling Embiid in the backcourt for fouls. um They did try playing Trey Young and Lou Williams together along with Danilo Gallinari for a little bit, and Lou Williams still with that firepower out there had like a terrible zero pass possession at the end of the third. um But I, I was still just struck by how easy it was for the Hawks to get open threes. Forty-seven three-point attempts in this game, like they are too good of a shooting team to allow to shoot that many threes, and they you know they only made seven of their last 24 after starting off 13 to 23 but i mean gallo and john collins and bogdanovich Trey if he's able to create space like Bogdanovich getting 12 three-point attempts like that's just way too much but because they've got Embiid out there I mean basically whenever Embiid was out there and obviously Danny Green exasperated things with poor defense at the point of attack Trey Young is getting penetration or they're putting two on the ball and the Hawks who move around they're basically just able to get open threes against this team anytime and so maybe Philly I think they got better personnel like they can clean it up a little bit more they can avoid making mistakes they can just be better about where they're pushing Trey Young they could just put a little bit more pressure on him all those things like the hawks are not going to have this ridiculous of an offensive performance i mean let's not forget like they put up a buck 28 and you know they basically like didn't score in the last five minutes of the game other than getting fouled so this was a ridiculous offensive performance uh although worth noting that the pace was incredibly high in part due to all those turnovers at the end and all the fouls but yeah oh
2: wait there were turnovers at the end yeah but I, i was unaware
1: right but 67% 67% true shooting for the Hawks, and it was yeah. just the turnovers that really killed their efficiency at the end. And-, yeah.
2: and and Trey, I mean, like, so I thought he took some overly aggressive threes at, at moments yeah. in the second half. But, like, I mean, he, Trey Young, we talked about how amazing he was, like, as a scorer and as a distributor, still had, I think he had, so he had three assists in the in the second half, but he had a couple other potential assists, but the guy's just missed the three. But Trey Young, he was three of ten from the field, missed three of his four shots in the paint he made a couple mid-rangers and missed all four of his threes but they were still generating good looks like even even in stretches except for the very end of the game which we'll talk about shortly that that part of it I think has to be concerning to Philadelphia as well is that even when the shots weren't falling they were good shots what Philly did best was they in certain circumstances prevented shots from happening in the first place but you can't build the whole thing out of that it's just it's impossible
1: yeah now Philly has good enough personnel that I think they can adjust and learn to do deal with Trey a little bit also a lot of people complaining about the foul line uh guys Philly took 35 free throws and the Hawks took 21 but you know and obviously a big part of that was Embiid 14 to 15 and Simmons eh, getting intentionally fouled which uh yeah we'll we'll talk about that and in fact maybe we shall right now i what a just a drunk end of the game i mean it really had everything philly starts pressing atlanta has to burn through all of their timeouts with still like 90 seconds left in the game as a result they get a five seconds Trey's getting pressured up in the backcourt. He turns it over. Kevin Herter is just like going to see Philadelphia's traps and his nightmares for the next two nights. And so, I I mean, I think one question that comes to mind is just whether Philly wants to break that strategy out more. I mean, like Phil Jackson used to always press after free throws and I think they should at minimum do that when they have their most athletic guys on the floor because really like Trey he really got bothered by the size Herder, uh you know Bogdanovich had a, a huge turnover at the end as well um so a ton of mistakes there also like Embiid is posting up and just going like right to the rim just shooting a layup within like three seconds because they didn't want to give up a three. So that was like, you know, that really aided the comeback as well. And they're up, the Hawks are up 14 points with three minutes left in the game. And although... The Sixers, as sphincter tightening as it got, never actually got a shot, a possession with a chance to tie or take the lead. It got close like multiple times in just completely crazy fashion.
2: It, it totally did. And I mean, the volume of of mistakes and turnovers from the Hawks was, was impressive. I mean, they were getting discombobulated. They were like the Kevin Herter where they burned the last time out. He's basically, he catches the pass standing right next to, on the, offensive side at half court, and the Sixers are like, oh, sweet, free possession because they trap him and then he ends up calling the timeout yeah. so then they have no Hubie timeouts left. had a left. great
1: point on this and he would know because he used, he used to press all the time that you got to do one of two things when you catch the ball against the press. You got to either pass the ball immediately or you need to attack. You cannot just stand there and particularly you cannot just stand there if you just crossed half court and you're on the sideline, then you really can't. Like if you catch the ball there, you need to just attack into the middle of the floor with the dribble or make an immediate pass and now Herter did have one really long pass that had no steam on it I
2: I I am convinced so Hubie Brown and I love Hubie gave Herder a ton of credit for that pass I don't think he knew that John Collins was there <laughs> I think he was just throwing a pass the front court because they were really close to an eight second violation yeah and there were only there were only two hawks in the front court there was also only one and he was what, lucky that Embiid, Embiid was
1: the guy who was back because anybody with any kind of wheels could have just intercepted that pass it was so slow it, like you don't want throw a bounce pass that like lollipops up in the air first and then like it was and Collins ended up getting a big dunk off of that to put him up 8 after Bogdan hit just a ridiculous three. I mean they they were under pressure a couple of times like once they it was a three-point game and Philly actually controlled their destiny at that point and they put the press on well no so so first they uh they get it within 3 Hawks bring it out they break the press and Bogdan just hits like absolutely cold-blooded three from the the left wing as philly's like trying to scramble around so that makes it six you're like all right they're out of the woods then they uh
2: yeah that's when he shushed the crowd
1: yes (laughs) yeah and um and then there was another play where they actually got it within three that's when they tried the press again afterwards uh, who is it who hit that three to get him back within three again i think it was curry who hit that and
2: no I, i um I was remembering the Tobias Harris lit, uh, yeah there were there were three a bunch I, of I, times. like let me Embiid actually look hit it up. Layup. I'll tell you
1: hold on. um did they go to the intentional foul on Simmons up 6 they did right
2: yes they oh, did yeah. they and they did it and they did it immediately they didn't let any time or nothing. well because you have to do it when he's involved in the action yeah. and yeah so so, so they're up six, 6 38
1: seconds left they foul Simmons and I, like I understand what the thought process is there which is Okay, well, Ben Simmons, A, like the worst that's going to happen, he's going to make two. And a three is what can beat us. We're up two possessions and both of them are threes. Or we'll... You know the worst
2: thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is you have to inbound it in your own half with no timeouts
1: apparently well and no time going off the clock i mean i think at that point right you'd rather force the like cuz they're going to have to take they're inbounding under their own rim they're going to have to take at least 10 seconds to bring it up and score and like they basically they got to hit two threes to beat you yes And, and like you said, right, like inbounding under your own rim, at least you're doing that with 28 seconds left in the game instead of 38 seconds. So Simmons one out of two, they get it in. And then Trey Young immediately gets it stolen by Harris, who goes in for an easy layup. And then it's a three point game and that's when they they keep the press on and this was there was basically there probably would have been no way to get the press off at this point uh but you're they're down three 28.7 left so a 4.7 differential i'm pretty sure the Sixers are out of timeouts at that point oh no they did actually have a timeout left at that point so taking the press off maybe you do it and you say hey we're just gonna play defense but it was working so incredibly well and they couldn't even get the ball over half court that i think just keeping it on was still the right decision
2: yeah and that's and that's the herder wally yeah that was this play yeah
1: and then also you know it was a killer that Collins got fouled by Embiid as he's going in for the dunk uh well let's see no I'm sorry that's incorrect uh that made that put him up floor.
2: no so that was no so this, so they that this was the clear path so Embiid so it was it was the two so Herder throws the lollipop Collins catches it and Embiid's kind of falling down and fouls him they rule it a clear path foul So they get two in the ball, they get the two, and then, and and so then that pushed it to a five-point game, and then before, like, a foul or anything else, they get another dunk. And an and one on that dunk,
1: too. They got a five-point possession, they're up three, they had a five-point possession with 16 seconds left. I totally forgot about the fucking clear path, because so much other weird shit happened. It's an eight point lead with 16.5 left. Like that is unblowable. And yet they almost.
2: Challenge accepted almost. (laughs) And then, and then they, this time they intentionally fouled again. That was after, it was after. Well, they waited a whole
1: 1.6 seconds this time to let that run off the clock. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and then this was the incredible sequence where Simmons makes the first, misses second, not intentionally, as far as I could tell. I mean, it's it was like not, way kind of short. Tell,
1: it would Simmons. have been. I mean, it was a smart move to miss it, but I don't. I don't think he has that level yeah. of control on his free throws. Let's put it that so,
2: way. So, so exactly. So, so they're they're the original preliminary though. They were down eight. Then the Sixers down seven after the make and then it's like it's like the master uh, it's like the beauty of how you could score quickly and beat gets the rebound and immediately gets an and one <laughs> so, so it goes from eight to seven to eight to seven to four and then it's like oh shit now they're gonna trap again yeah they, they have get no time out they have to
1: inbound again
2: and then Simmons gets Simmons gets the dunk. Yeah, Green and then just they, like ripped they, they it ride. out of
1: Bogdanovich's hands. So this is incredible. Over the course of thirteen seconds, the teams scored a combined eleven points.
2: They scored an eleven points in the sequence of five on trip, four on one trip, then basically you immediately get possessed you get two more.
1: Yeah, so it's it's uh one twenty-six, twenty twenty-four at that point, and Bogdanovich was able to at least like draw a foul. They kinda had to foul at that point with under ten seconds left, and Bogdanovich two ice free throws, and they uh now, Simmons, Simmons never had the ball, but I was joking like, oh, why don't they foul Simmons again, right? Up four with eight seconds left. There's no, and no timeouts for the other team. And that was just incredible. Like, it, like that was, to do it when you're up eight. I and mean, yes, like, you're worried about them hitting a three. But even them hitting a three, you're still up by two possessions. The only way that you're going to get into difficulty... Is by like a free throw and then an offensive rebound and getting more points li- the way they did. So it was just that that was like just way outsmarted. And maybe someone in the Hawks analytics department told Nate McMillan like, "Hey, you know, if you're up late, like you commit these fouls, you you know they they it, you're like it seems like you're mitigating your risk and you're mitigating the risk of them hitting a three pointer on you, but you're exacerbating your risk of." something truly disastrous happening which you know i guess it's nice to have a, a 14 point lead with three minutes left in the game because you can play it this badly and still fucking win
2: i will note there was only one th- time where i thought i saw where i definitely saw it. there was one possession and again the hawks were a comedy of errors they they were forced but they were you know horrendous there was one where trey young got fouled and then passed the ball away like they intentionally fouled him the refs just didn't call it and then he turned it over but generally speaking this was horrendous i just wanted to mention that one because i noticed it
1: all right. So tomorrow we got two more games. We also got some news to get to as well. We got to talk about this Portland stuff, which is kind of funny. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get to that, but probably time to wrap up here. This, this is a fun though. We have a lot of stuff to talk about in these games. They were really fascinating. I always, I mean, game ones are the ones where I'm usually the most interested to talk about the series because we're learning so much in those series. And you know, my prediction is that the Sixers are going to just completely destroy the Hawks in game two behind the home crowd. They're going to win by 20 and Embiid's going to have a bunch of dunks and everyone's going to be celebrating but I mean Joel Embiid is probably going to be questionable for every game in the series like his knee could easily be like quite swollen right now and quite swollen tomorrow and I mean, I would guess that he was feeling pretty damn good if they let him play, and he looked good. But, like, with the injury that he has, like, that can kind of happen at any time. And we've seen him just, like, miss playoff games with, like, no notice before. It's uh, it's always an adventure. And if Embiid does not play in game two, or he's limited, they did play him as full minutes, 38 minutes. If he's limited, watch out. They could be in big trouble in this series. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow night after Bucks
0: nets